All right, guys, welcome to another episode of Behind the Visual, a podcast where I interview all the people responsible for creating and putting together all those videos and images you see out in your world every single day. I am your host, advertising and lifestyle photographer, Mark Hansen, and today my guest is Nathan Monteith. He is the group creative director at DDB Chicago. And in this podcast, you get to listen to Nathan talk about all kinds of really cool stuff how uh, when he moved from Canada to the U.S., he came down here to work on Capital One and ended up working with Jimmy Fallon and Alec Baldwin. He's got some cool stories about Alec Baldwin in here, a little story about editing a Fiat commercial on set as they're shooting. Um, Also, what it's like to work with Jeff Goldblum and what an amazing guy Jeff is, the fact that Halsey wrote her first song in a Jeep, and also a commercial that they did that changed a little boy's life. So check this one out. Some really cool stuff. Actually, the first time I've shared my screen with anybody as well. So you get to see these ads instead of us just talking about them. And I'm really looking forward to you guys. Let me know what you think about this one. Okay, now let's hear how you became a creative director. So I became a creative director, obviously working as an art director for pretty much seven or eight, eight years. Started in around 1999. That was at, in uh, Canada? Yeah, so I was up in Toronto in Canada, uh, TBWA, Shiat Day, is where yep. I started off. Uh, I was working on some Nissan stuff. Moved around. I mean, the Toronto advertising community is pretty small. Like it's, it's big, but it's small and it's big in the sense that you have access to all the big brands and you have big budgets that are running across the country and in the U S. Um, but it's small in that there's, you know, there's like 3000 people in advertising there. So we all kind of know each other. Yeah. We all kind of know each other. That number might be wrong, but it's just an indication that it's pretty small. Um, so it's it's a it's a great city for that you know the multicultural area and access to all the all the clients. So did that for a few years, um, and then I got the invitation to move down here. I got an offer to come down and run Capital One. Um, I was working at Taxi Advertising in Toronto uh, for about five or six years. Won lots of awards for things like um, Carling Beer, um, Viagra, and Aviva insurance yeah so i got the call to come down to uh, chicago to work on capital one and that just really appealed to me you know the idea of you know jumping down to the u.s capital one i had always thought of as a brand like a bank that was was fun right like if you were gonna if you're gonna work on any bank it was gonna be capital one you know you saw the stuff they're doing so i worked a few years with with jimmy fallon and alec baldwin oh wow uh, and that was a blast man. man Like just to work with guys that talented that you can have a, a great dialogue with when you're making the work. How um, that, did you guys, did you script it out or did you just give them like, here are the points and they just riffed it? Um, you, would, you would script it out because obviously before you even get to that stage of shooting, you've got so much uh, approval with the clients, right? Yeah. So you've got to script out every little second. Um, so it's perfect. No, obviously, once you start working with those guys, you've got to give them some leash, right? You got yeah. to say, hey, here, here, here it is. You don't want to say it has to be verbatim, even though deep down, you know, it yeah. has to be verbatim. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and they know 
it kind of has to be pervaded. Yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, it was a great experience, man. Like Alec Baldwin might be one of the most talented actors uh, I've ever worked with. The guy just knows how to control his, his voice, his movement. Um, he'll give you three versions of a line and he'll be like, that's all you need. And it really is all you need. Oh, wow. Because each, each one of them will be completely different uh, and gives you all that range for when you're editing. You know, that's and sometimes, great. yeah, and there'll be a lot of wall-to-wall dialogue when you're working with some of these guys. And Alec is one of those guys where you say, hey, listen, uh, that was 30.5 seconds. We need you to shave off a second. And he will just give it back to you, and you'll be like, 29.5. Holy shit. <laughs> oh, my God. He, he's, he's amazing at his craft. Damn. Yeah, I hadn't thought much about him since the other than the SNL stuff. And then I guess he's got some back game show he's doing. But then all weekend, it seems like they're running Mission Impossible on <laughs> PBS or AMC or whatever. And I just sat there and I watched him in multiple movies. Yeah, but yeah, you're right, man. He's good. But hell, I know he's that good. That's impressive. Yeah, yeah it is pretty impressive. Damn. And he's so, and he's so intense. Uh, there would be times where you get the call to kind of go – talk to him in the, in the trailer. Um, they'd be like, Alec wants to see you. Uh, and you're like, Oh, okay. So you kind of, you, you go into the trailer and, um, he's, he's about six feet tall, okay. but he has this presence about him. He, you think he's six, five, like there's just this thickness and this weight to him when he, and when he looks at you, he looks right through you into your eyes and he's just wow. studying, he's studying you as you're talking to him. Or that's how it feels anyway. Yeah. And, and he's looking to see, this is how it always felt. He's looking to see if you know what you're doing. If what you're asking him to do is something that you think is right. And if you know how to um, explain why it's important. And he's just, he's just staring at you and watching you. And once you get through the first couple hours of that, when you first meet him, and if he sees that you do know what you're doing, he's fantastic. He will, he will work with you. He will go back and forth with you because you, you, you've shown that you care because that's super important to him is that you care. It doesn't matter that it's a commercial. You are on set and you are surrounded by 200 people who are all there putting everything they can into the job that day. And you need to respect that. You need to respect everyone's time and work on your craft and be good at what you do no matter what it is. And there's something to that. Yeah. That's nice. That's nice to hear. Yeah. yeah. Just go in there. It's a commercial. Let's just knock it out. Let me get the hell out of here. I don't think he's phoned in anything in his whole life. That's the feeling you get. That's good. And it sounds like the, the him being staring into your eyes, staring at you thing is uh, not necessarily creepy. Uh, no, it's not creepy. Okay. <laughs> it, it, it's intimidating. Oh, all right. That's, and I think that, yeah. and that's part of it. I think for him, he also wants to see that you have enough conviction about what you're talking about to not buckle in that moment. Okay. Yeah. That's not a bad way to look at it. I had a friend who, he was a, like the salesman at a music store. So I'd go in there and I'd play guitar a little bit and I'd go in there to get strings. This is when I was younger. 
and we became good friends. But that dude, when he talked to you, he'd get right in your face, and he would just be like, and he would never look away, and he would hardly ever blink, and he would just talk to you just like this, and it was just a little creepy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, it's, it's such a fine line, right? To, to cross over into creepy and then a little stalkery. Yeah. Yeah, he never yeah. blinked. He never looked away. So that part, I was like, dude, can you at least look away a little? Like, I don't know, just pass <laughs> off for half a second. I don't know, so just staring right at me completely. That's funny. Was, I don't know if I actually answered your question, though, about, like, why was I it why? I off a little bit on that. Yeah. All right. So how did you come? So when did you, what led you to become the creative director? I was getting to a point where, um, I really enjoy working with, with younger teams. So, you know, when you're still doing the work and you're helping out other teams just because they ask you to, and you're not really a creative director, and you realize you really enjoy that as well, um, it kind of makes you go, okay, you know what? I do want to try and take that job on as the creative director. So when I got offered that, that chance, uh, obviously I took it. Um, it was important to me, though, that I still do the work sometimes. So there's a lot of projects where I still kind of handle and take on um, just to kind of make sure you can still do it. Because I, I think it's important when you're talking to teams about how to fix their work and how to make it better. I think, yes, you can rely on your past and because you've done it. But I think it's also very important that you're still doing it, you know, because I think it keeps you sharp. It keeps yeah. you current. You know, obviously, you know how it is. This, this business is just crazy changing. Absolutely. Like, like over the last, every year it changes like three years. Yeah. You know, like that's how weird and odd the changes in this business are. And that's what makes it fun, right? Yeah, it makes, definitely makes it interesting. You got to keep up with what's happening. If you don't, you're just going to be sitting on the sidelines just watching it go by. Yeah, yep. that's not like it was 20 years ago, you know, where you. Yep buy a camera and you're good for maybe longer than that. But it used to be you could buy a $2,000 camera and you're set for your entire career and you don't have to, and everybody was shooting basically the same kind of stuff. And then it just seemed like everything just changed. And all of a sudden you've got to reinvent yourself and you got to buy different equipment and newer equipment constantly. And then when you, even that, it means you got to start working on what you're shooting. You can't shoot the same stiff, you know, pose looking stuff like you used to be able to shoot anymore. Yeah. yeah. It's more interesting. And it's, I enjoy it because there's more to it. You know, I get, I like capturing a moment and like giving direction, like go, go for it. And then capturing those moments as opposed to setting them all up where it all just seems fake anyway. So it's worked out better for me, I think, um, for this way things are changing. I'm happy about it. Yeah. I mean, that's a great example is like you say, capturing the moment that part doesn't change, right? Like capturing the moment is still so important. And that's the part you love about it. Just because all these other ways of capturing the moment come up doesn't right. make that part different at all, right? It's still, that's, and that's the challenge. You have to learn all those other ways to still do that one thing that you like yeah. to do. Yeah, which is good. Like I said, I think it would get a little boring Otherwise, if you every day it was you just pretty much knew what it was going to be, and all right, it's changed a little bit. But now, at least now, there's more stuff to do to, to work through and kind of play with and learn new things. And I'm enjoying it. And yeah. I had, I had, um, I was probably literally two classes away from having a double major in communications in media advertising and broadcast production, but I left because it wasn't 
really what you're going to do with double major in communications anyway. But so I'd been into the motion thing a little bit while I was in school. And then now that people are requiring it more and asking for it more, I really was digging. it. I was like, Oh, I'm back into this now. And I don't have to go buy these, you know, $20,000 cameras anymore that they used to have to have. Now I can use my DSLR to start shooting some stuff for me. And then we got the reds and whatever you can use for the bigger stuff. But so I don't do a lot of that, you know, it's all small little, little stuff, but it's fun and I enjoy it. Yeah. The, the, the tools all becoming more affordable just really changed everything, didn't it? Oh yeah. Like, like we're learning, we're all doing the editing. We're all doing the, the, the tweaking to everything because it's, it's doable before we had to hand it off to people to do, but now we have it. It's there for us to do. So which is not so bad. I know some people are like, oh my God, everybody thinks they're a photographer. Everybody thinks they're a videographer. But now it comes down to, you don't have to be the person just, you used to have to hand it off, like you said, to the people who just knew how to do it because they had spent the time to learn how to do it. They had the equipment, but it didn't necessarily mean they were that great at it. Now you get to choose. You're okay. Everybody can pretty much do it, but this person's actually good at it. You yeah. Know? And then, so you don't have to just take somebody just because they're the only person you can find who can do it in the time frame that you need it done in because there are more people available for it. Yeah. I think it's a good, a good thing for the people with the final product anyway. Yep. Yeah. Quickness becomes a bit of a, a talent. Yeah. You know, how, how fast you can do something while maintaining quality is actually a full talent. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because it used to be what you could shoot and then, all right, can we get the film and, you know, by the end of next week? Oh, absolutely. And now it's like, can you give me a hard drive before we leave here? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, can you show me? Can your digital tech show me what this is going to look like in our our layout? All right. Yeah, so everything's changed completely, man. Oh, yeah, and the biggest thing of that is editing on set, right? Yeah. We're, we're, we're shooting stuff and the editor's sitting over there taking the stuff from the camera and cutting it together. And I'm kind of like, there's parts to this I love, but there's parts to this I hate. Yeah, that's out of control. It's because- I haven't you, had that. I haven't even heard like, of that. Oh yeah, we're, we're doing it more and more, probably for the last two years or so. Um, one of the commercials I sent you, the uh, Fiat finger breaking. Yeah. That one we edited on set as we were doing it. And again, the love and hate of it, like the the love is, oh, I can see how that shot works with this shot. That's super efficient. But it felt like sort of cheap at the end of the end of the shoot day because we kind of had the spot ready. Right. And I was looking at it going, well, wait a sec. I want to live for a few days. I want I want to see what shots we did and, and remember them days later and then go, Hey, why don't we try this? It felt yeah. almost, it felt a little too disposable to kind yeah. of cut it while doing it. Well, I think sometimes you need that time away. Cause when I'm editing stuff before I even narrow it down to send to clients, if I have the time to do it, I like to spend, you know, go through a one, you know, one pass and just get rid of everything I don't want to see. Yep. And then go back through it again and narrow that down. Then go through it one, one more time, maybe two times. And sometimes you look at it and you go, wow, I did not pick that one. Why did I throw that one out? Let me bring that one back in. And the one I'm, let me throw this one out that I did pick because it's not as good as the one I didn't. So I think sometimes it's nice to have that little extra time and not just snap it out and 
knock it out while you're sitting right there. But totally agree. Yeah. Wow, man, that is fast. <laughs> there's there's good things and bad things about it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. What's the biggest difference between being the creative director and the art director? I mean, as far as art directors or as creative directors, how much control do you have now over who the director is, who the photographer is, that kind of thing, as opposed to when being an art director? Well, to answer your first question, the, the difference between the art director and the creative director, I think it comes down to like how dirty you get your hands. Yeah. Right? Like as the art director, you're down in it. And as the creative director, you're kind of up above it and you can reach down and get dirty if you want, or you can kind of stay up there. And, um, you know, project by project, it changes uh, to what, what is best, right? There's some, and again, that comes down to the art director as well, right? Some art directors, you want to just stay back from, let them do their thing. Let them, because you can always pull them back, right? Let them try these crazy things that, that you first look at and go, huh, I didn't think that was the way that that would happen. But you know what? I wouldn't have done it like that, but that doesn't make it wrong. Right. Like, what you did is amazing. I wouldn't have done it that way. I wouldn't have done it like this. And that's, it's, there's no way to compare things like that, right? right? Yeah. So it's refreshing when, as a career director when you can stand back and, and pick your moments of when you jump down and you get your hand dirty. Well, that's cool. Yeah. So who, who has final say over, other than the client, I'm assuming, um, the directors you guys use, photographers you guys use, that kind of thing? So that, most of the time, that's me. So yeah. most of the time, that's okay. We've got these three directors. We do a lot of triple bidding. Right. Um, we look at the treatments. Um, How important are those to you guys or to you? Do you, do you look at the, do you read the whole treatment or do you just kind of skim it and look at the images they stuck in it? And cause I've heard different things from different people. Some people are like, you know, we don't want to spend a whole lot of time reading the whole thing, but if yeah, if it's designed well and has cool pictures, that's going to help. <laughs> I read the whole treatment yeah. too many times. Um, first of all, you should just because this person put a ton of time into it and probably did it, over the weekend and you only gave them three days. So you, you, should res, you should respect that and read it. And the other reason is because they might ask you about something and you will have to pretty much admit that you didn't read it all, which is shitty. Or worse, you fake it and that's terrible. And the other thing is you have to read it all because if you do choose them, there might be something in there where you didn't read and they're shooting it now they because you agreed to it in a way right oh, like yeah. we had a we had a yeah. treatment a few weeks ago where we're like hey you know what we should remove that one uh shot idea where the person's dry humping the canned goods <laughs> <laughs> and Got a real idea <laughs> yeah I, well it's a shot idea and it was in okay. the treatment it All was right. in there and if you didn't read that if you and you chose that director, you're going to be shooting someone dry humping the canned goods. And when they say, Well, it was in my treatment, yeah, there's no better way to show to. love for your canned goods than to you know, try hump them, I guess. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, yeah, I think it's very important you have to read the treatments. Um, it's also the only way, um, the talent level is at a point where 
you're not, there's so many good directors, right? They have these really, really great reels. You need the treatment to kind of help pull them apart from one another. Um, you also really get to know a director's voice by reading the treatments. You yeah. know how, because you've already done a phone call with them. So a big thing for me is which, else, which is more important to you, the, the creative call or the treatment? I'm going to say creative call. Yeah. Because it's, they don't get to think about it when you ask them questions. I mean, yeah. obviously they think about it, but they have to be quick. Yeah. Um, you get a more uh, a sense of personality from them. Um, you can discuss things. Um, the treatment is something that they can often hide behind, right? A lot of directors can find people to write that stuff for them. Now, you know, it's coming out, it's coming from them, but it's being articulated through a, a, a third person. And that changes the vibe a little bit. I've re- sometimes you read treatments and you're like, this doesn't sound like the guy on the call or the girl on the call at all. Yeah. And that's a real kind of turnoff. And it could but be sometimes, a lot to do with who their rep is. I would yes. Think. Yeah, rep. you're right goes yep. through it and like change this, change this, or I wrote this or, yeah, I could see that happening. Yeah. yeah. At the end of the day, you, you go back to the real, the real is so important, right? So calls, treatment, extreme, uh, are, are important, but the consistency of someone's work is shown in their real. Yeah. So you can get an amazing treatment, have an amazing call, but if that real is not as good as the other person, it, it's a tough one. So, yeah. yeah, how would that work? So you got one director's got a great reel, another one's got a good reel, and then the creative call, the one with the great reel is just not that good on the call. Right? Maybe don't, they don't answer the questions right. They're just dull, boring. They say something that just pisses you off. I don't know. You know, which, what do you do then at that point? Especially if you're on a shoot that's going to be like a week or two long. Well, that's where the treatment really helps the most. So, Hey, it's not a personality contest. So you're hiring them for their talent and what they've made and what they've write down that they can deliver. Uh, We've had directors all the time that are, can be terrible on a call. That's no sign of talent though. You know, it's, it's, it's not fair to ask them to be all personality all the time, especially when you've just, you've just met them And, and none of these things are in person. Right. So it's usually on a, horrible sounding call that they're over in Europe. It's at a terrible time of day. You know, it's either, it's either their midnight or their 4am or 5am. Um, it's hard to find the sweet spot for a call. So you, you, out of the three things, real treatment or call, you give them the biggest pass on the call. That's, that's how I feel. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Cause I know, I know some photographers who are just, they're great at what they do, but their social skills are not the best. You know, there are yeah. times where you're just like, you need a rep because you need somebody to speak for you or you need a first assistant who's very personable so they can handle, you know, talking to the client for you because, you know, they just aren't that great at it for whatever reason. You know, not that they're mean or anything. They just basically just are awkward, I guess. Yeah. A couple of guys I know that I'm thinking about. Oh, can you imagine Picasso on the call? How shitty would that be? <laughs> yeah, that would be amazing. I'd like to hear that one though. Yeah. Hey, so tell me about working with Jeff Goldblum because you guys did that. Um, did you do that Jurassic Park Jeep ad, right? Yeah. 
Yes. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. We, we did that for Super Bowl uh, 2018. Working with him was unbelievable. Um, again, I would put him right up there with Alec Baldwin. Um, just such a character. And you know what? I kept trying to figure out the whole time, is, he, is this him or is he doing him? Right. You know, is he, is he giving you the Jeff Goldblum you think he is or is he actually like this? And I really couldn't figure it out. Um, he was great on the shoot. He came out to the shoot the first day uh, we were shooting him. He came walking over to the tent um, and we had written all these lines, all these things that we had were, wanted him to say, right? And he, he comes walking over and I suck at impressions. So you just, just, everyone just pretend this is Jeff Goldblum. But he comes over and he's like, hi, 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 everybody. Yes, hi, hi, hi. Um, oh, oh, okay. Um, so who's, who's the writer? Who, 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 oh, oh, you're, you're the writer. Okay, yes. Oh, hey, everyone, let, everyone, let's just gather around a little bit here. And we all do. <laughs> Because he's tall, right? He's like six eight, and he's looking down at us. And he's like, "Okay, okay." So I got all your words. Um, um, writing is fun, right? Writing is fun. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes when we write, we 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 forget what um, the person that is actually saying these things is is going to do with them. You know that, and that's okay. We forget. So here's the thing. Um, I've shortened the list, and he pulls out his list. <laughs> Okay. And it's three lines. <laughs> <laughs> and it's three really short lines. And he says, so, so let's not focus on how many there are. Let's not focus on how long or how creative. All that matters is how I say them. And he looks at all of us and all of us are like, okay, that's a, that's a good point. He says, yeah, because listen, listen. And he looks at us all and he picks up the paper and looks at it and he goes, I just did. And we're all like, that's amazing. There was something about the way he said these words that on paper were just like, whatever. But there was the right. way he said them that we were like, okay, we just got schooled wow. by Goldblum because he was completely right. It was the way he said them. And uh, that, made it, that made it a blast. Damn, man. Hey, all right. I'm going to see if I can share this. I'm going to pull that up and tell me a little bit about it if I can find it. It's the first time I've done this whole share my screen thing. So can you see it? I can see it. Yes. All right. So how long is this? One minute. How much of this was... Is this one we were talking about? Yep. Okay. Yeah, there we are. So how'd that work with getting the dinosaur footage and all that? Is that just straight, uh, straight from the movie? No. So we had to write this. Um, we got approval to make this seven, sorry, 21 days before the Super Bowl. 21 days to create this commercial was an insane timeline. Like when we met with, uh, 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 the guys at oh, I'm forgetting the name. The CG guys, the the uh -huh. FX guys. We met with them, and they're like, "Oh yeah, this is not doable at all." And we're like, "Well, well, we we have to make it doable because <laughs> the Super Bowl." 
Yeah. And, and they're like, okay, so here's the thing then. You can only use motions from the dinosaur that the dinosaur has already done. And we're like, okay, well, what is that? Like, oh, go watch the movies. And we're like, <laughs> okay, so we can only use moments from the dinosaur that it's already done. Because Did you use the same CGI people that the movie used, or is it totally? Yeah, okay. tip, tip it, T-I-P-P-E-T-T. Okay. Is the name of that. You know, I'm going to send you a behind the scenes making of, of it. Yeah, they I'd love to see that, man. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's pretty cool. Um, so they build this 3D rendering of it, right? That is like, it's the flesh, it's the muscles, it's the blood, it's the skeleton, it's the skin, it's the lighting. And they had this thing built um, already. So we kind of had to work with what we knew the dinosaur could do and then write the script around that. So that was a nice little challenge. Yeah, I bet. Well, yeah, it was very cool. So did you have him driving? So was he driving all that or is that just him in studio? No, he was, he was driving. Um, we do a thing called a, a camera car. Yeah. Where, yeah, where he's on the trailer and uh, he's being pulled along. And uh, he had a blast. He, he had fun. I think he's the kind of, he, for eight hours, he was going to have fun and it was going to end after eight hours. <laughs> Well, I guess if you know what you're doing and you're good at it, you know, get in there yeah. and get out. So you guys, did you do the whole thing? How long did it take you to do the whole filming part of it? Uh, the filming took four days and then we had the, the 17 days of post work wow. and it was day and night. And I, I think what, what really helped was the director, uh, Colin Trevorrow, uh, actually direct, directed Jurassic World. Oh, wow. Um, so obviously not the first one because that was Spielberg. Yeah. Um, but the Jurassic World with uh, Chris, um, I'm forgetting I can, his name. I can never Chris, remember. Chris yeah. Pratt. I can never I know the Chris and I can never remember which last name goes with it. Yeah, yeah. So he directed that and it was the first time he'd done a commercial. He really? was like, yeah, he wanted to do it because he was like, you know, I've never done a commercial. I want to do this. Because um, obviously we reached out to him first yeah. thinking, yeah, sure. Why not shoot for the stars? And yeah. then he, he agreed and we're like, cool. okay. And he was, he was genius on the set. I've never seen a guy repress frustration <laughs> <laughs> quite like he did because he's used to advertising's messy. Advertising's a mess. We have dumb levels across the board that make no sense. Our timelines don't make any sense. Uh, the requests that come in from a client, are ridiculous. Uh, the requests that come from the agency are ridiculous. So he's dealing with this monster of a machine and he's like, yeah, this will be easy. It's only one minute long. Right. Yeah. I usually do movies and I don't think he really <laughs> took into, uh, into account. I remember we were at the pre-pro and he says, this is, you know, I'm proud to say this is my first commercial and it's going to be my last. <laughs> And then he did it. He did it as a gentleman, though. Like he was such a good human about the whole thing. But he, you could tell he was hating, hating the process. Yeah. Um, because to your point, it, it doesn't, process in this situation was moving, moving, moving. There wasn't a lot of time for reflection. Absolutely. There wasn't a lot of time for craft. Um, obviously, we did our best and we had the best people in the world creating this thing, right? They'd done it before. So that helped a ton. Um, we had the original music. 
we had you know the director we had the right actor so everything was in our favor except for time well yeah i was on the set in um budapest for the most recent terminator film and i was there shooting some behind the scenes stuff with a catering company and, and so i got to hang out on set a little bit and i was there probably on set watching them shoot probably a total of four to six hours something like that i'm not sure how many and i figured out how much screen time that was and <laughs> it ended up being like 15 seconds of screen time maybe and out of everything I watched, maybe 10. There was somewhere between 10 and 15 seconds of screen time that I actually saw in the, like, probably four hours of actual shooting that they were doing because then everything was being done over and over and over again. Yeah. They would shoot it, and then they would watch it on the screen, and then they would sit there and watch it and go back and redo it again. And, yeah, so it's just – I can imagine that shooting the commercial, completely different vibe all yep. the way around. It's funny when the clients had certain comments about um, certain types of things to get and, you know, and it's all legit stuff, right? Because the client's in a tough position as well. They are there representing everything they've already sold in the hallways at work, right? So you have, yeah. to, you have to help them out. But I remember the, the 50 feet between where the clients sat and where Colin was directing Kevin, sorry, uh, Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> That walk for me was the longest walk ever because I'm, I know the thing they just asked me to ask him to do, he does not want to do. Right. So for that walk, I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to get him to maybe want to do this. And if it, and he needs to want to do it because if he doesn't want to do it, it's going to be terrible and he'll, yeah. he'll throw it. Um, and he'll do that, that in a professional way. Like he'll make sure that it's something you have, but you can't use. Right. That's just, him, that's just him being smart, right? That's him protecting what he does, protecting yeah. his name. His name's going to be on it. So it needs to be, you know, at a certain level. Yeah, I can understand that for sure. All right, I want to show another one yeah. here. Yep. Uh, let me pull it up here if I can get it. I want to show the gladiator, the Jeep gladiator thing. Oh, Okay. Yeah, and then tell me about this whole thing while we watch it. Here we go. So first of all, dude, how many locations was this thing shot in? We shot this over five days. We were in L.A., uh, Sand Dunes area for this stuff, for what you're seeing now. Yeah. Then we were at the top of, uh, I can't remember the location, but the mountains in LA for the top of the mountain stuff. But you're right. There is a lot of locations here. Yeah. The snow shot, obviously, we pulled from a Jeep um, moment a few years back, which, funny enough, is not a gladiator uh, between you and I. It's just you only see the front of the grill. Oh, yeah. The front of the grill is exactly the same. Right. And, it, and it's covered in snow, so you can't see that we, we had to cheat that one a little bit. My favorite shot of this whole thing was halfway through it. You'll see where the, the motorbike kicks the sand up yeah, exactly. into the back seat. And I remember the client going, you're not doing that. You're not doing that. And I was like, we have to do it. It's going to be amazing. This is the right only here. vehicle. This is the only vehicle where you should be able to get away 
with just filling the back seat with sand. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, and I remember the, the stunt coordinator was like, no, no, it's dangerous. He's not doing it. But then the bike guy, this guy, uh, Evan all who I follow on Instagram, he overheard us talking and he pulls up and he goes, I'll do that. <laughs> and the, and the corner's like, no, no, you won't. And he's like, no, I'm, I'm, we're doing that. And he just drove away. And, um, because he loved the challenge. He's like, Oh man, to kick sand into the back seat of a moving truck. That's a challenge. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. That's a cool commercial, man. I'm really digging that. Yeah. I remember when that came out. I remember, um, when that gladiator came out and the commercials and I was like, okay. And we were just actually talking about it the other day. My wife, we have, we have a Wrangler and my wife was talking about that. She's like, God, if I had a farm and her father, my father-in-law has one. And she's like, you need to get one of those for the farm. And I was yeah. like, yeah, I saw a guy the other day, he had it all modded out. It looked cool as hell. Yeah, it was, a, it was a really challenging project. And I remember when the writer brought that forward and he, he read us through it and then he got to the end and he says, this seat is not for spectators. And we were like, yes. Yeah. Yes. Because when you talk about gladiators, that can get into cheesy stuff really quick. So we really wanted to get into the heart of what a gladiator is. You know, what's beyond the fighting, beyond the warrior elements. How do we kind of make this a little bit different? Let's not talk about the fighter in the ring. Let's talk about the people that don't sit around and just watch other people do things. This seat is not for spectators. You don't watch the fight. You get down in it. And we're like, oh, this is, this is perfect. Yeah, I thought that was a good line, especially after all the stuff you just finished watching. Where the where the surfing at night with the neon or the LED lights? Where did that come from? I've never even seen anybody do that before. I didn't know that was a thing. We saw a film that was done, I believe, in Australia where they touched on it, and we were like, "That's a great scene. We gotta we gotta do that." And th those are those situations as 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 an artist where you're like, "Well, wait a sec, are we ripping this off?" And we kind of made peace with the idea saying, no, no, we're just going to show something that people are doing that no one's seen. Yeah. That's a different thing. You know, we're not trying to take credit for coming up with that idea. Um, and, the, and the surfer had never done it before. And he was like, oh, yeah, man, that'll be fun. He was out there. That was like at midnight. We were out there shooting. He was out there for about three hours. Damn. And to, to your point about nailing 15 seconds, he was out there for three hours and we just needed a second. Yeah. God. <laughs> was he freezing when he came back in? No, nah, he had his wetsuit on and he was just he was just in the zone, right? He had a drone above him. He had lights shooting off the uh off the off the, the dock at him. One of the lights we were trying to make uh feel like the moon. Right. Okay. So it was reflecting on the water. Um, which I actually think worked out. You don't you don't realize it's a big huge ten K. Yeah, I mean, none of that made me look at it and think it's been lit by anything. Yeah. yeah. So I thought it was all great when I was watching it. Yeah, that's a cool, that was a cool thing, man. Did you get to drive it? I did. Out there it's in the great, sand? It's a great vehicle. Yeah. It's a really great vehicle. You know, you, when you work on Jeep, you have to love those vehicles. And uh, when you get to play around in them, you, you fall in love pretty quickly. And it's that spirit. There's a Jeep spirit there yeah. that you you are beholden to try and communicate. And yeah, and we take ours. Anytime I take mine, like my father-in-law's got 90 acres and occasionally we'll take it down and we go mudding in it or whatever. And my wife, 
she's like, wash it off now, immediately. I mean, <laughs> That's yeah. right. She doesn't, she does not like it dirty. It's not like that. So you got to go and you got to clean all that mud out as soon as you get finished doing it. And then you still find the mud in it like two, three weeks later when you're washing it again, you still find it in the little crevices in place, but it's, dude, it's fine. I yeah. Enjoy it. You should just get her a grand Cherokee. Just give her a grand Cherokee. I mean, she had one. Oh, there she you go. One. And she likes, she actually likes the Wrangler. I think she likes as much or better than the Grand Cherokee. Because we were trying to decide when we went to go buy the Wrangler. I was like, well, here's a Grand Cherokee. It's brand new. And, you know, come look at it too. And she was like, nah, let's get the Wrangler. And now we got a white one. And then we had all the stuff done to it and switched, changed up a little bit. And now she wants to, she likes the new design and she wants to, get a new one so the one we have now is white and black and she wants to get a solid black one all the way and we have a soft top and she wants to go for the hard top and i'm yeah. thinking let's just keep what we have and then we'll get that one too and then i can just play with this one this one will become mine to play with and then you can Good have plan drive. yeah i support that plan I, yeah me too so and my <laughs> daughter's like yeah can i have it can you give me that car when you get the new one I, uh We'll see. We'll talk about that. But I think I want it for me to play with. Yeah. Anything else. Would you do a gladiator? Would you do a truck? Maybe. I like the truck part. Um, yeah, I think, cause like I said, I saw one the other day that dude had modded out and it was badass looking. Yeah. It is. Yeah. I'm, part of me wonders why like, any of these companies, like you see, like when you buy the Jeep, they have the small little tires on them and then everybody goes and gets the water tires or you see even like a Camaro or something. I don't know so much now, but like they used to be, they'd have smaller tires and you'd see them and you're like, God, why don't they just put, I don't know why they don't just put the bigger tires on these things to begin with. So they save you from having to go out and toss the brand new tires to put on the, to put on the bigger ones. I guess it's a money yep. thing. Yeah. I'm assuming. All right, let's look at uh, what's the oh yeah, what made you guys decide to do the um, Kohler into a fashion deal, man? You know what? That came from this feeling. So we were working on that project. It was a pitch, and we were coming up with ideas, and it was so hard for us to not think about the Kohler work we kind of all used to see done by great photographers. And we were all talking about it. They used to do sexy. They used to do like really killer visuals that just had this design element to them. Let's just take them there. Like let's, let's bring sexy back to the faucet, to the toilet. And we laughed and we laughed about it. But then we were like, no, let's, let's actually do that. Like if any brand can kind of do this, they can. They have the design history. Yeah. They have they have the advertising history. So in a way, we're sort of returning them to something they kind of made their their brand on. Um, but we wanted to give it a little bit extra. And this idea of something never being too much, we loved the design excess of it. Yeah, this one right here, the one with the gold and the chick holding, what is that, a sink? That is, a, that is a sink. Yeah, that, I still remember that. The first time I saw that, I was like, holy hell. That is the sexiest sink ad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it has to be. That was a heartbreaking project, though. So we had so many great photographers to reach out to, and 
we had a call with Tony Duran, who has done some amazing fashion stuff. And we took him through this idea and he, he loved it. And he shot so many beautiful shots on that day. I sent you that video, that behind the scenes yeah. video. And he was just making stuff up. He brought in this gold chair. He brought in this gold shield. And he probably shot about 15 ads. And we only used one. And that's heartbreaking. Yeah. You God. know, because there's some gorgeous stuff that he did. Uh, the model was fantastic. She was just such a trooper. She was climbing around, doing whatever he asked, um, having fun. We're out in the desert in LA. And uh, yeah. Yeah, that's a cool, that was a definitely cool ad, man. Tell um all the stuff he shot that he didn't get to use or that you guys didn't use. Is that stuff he can't ever show, ever use? or how's Unfortunately, that yeah. We no. can't really do anything with it. And it's a tough one. Yeah. Now, I think he had it in his portfolio for a few years. Um, but could he, like, what about a website? Can he put it on his website? Is it one of those things you can only just put in your portfolio and show the clients when you're in person? I think he was at a point where he was kind of like, he got as much out of just doing the shots and knowing he had them right? Than, than needing to share them, which is kind of an interesting thing, right? Yeah. There's something about that I kind of like. You, you know you did it. Right. Do you need to share it? Uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I guess it depends. You know, I think it would depend on, did the one you choose for the ad, is that my favorite one? If that's my favorite one, then I'm like, all right, I don't really need to share any of these other ones. If there was another one I liked a lot more, and I was like, damn, why did they not pick this one? This one is the coolest one that we shot. Then part of me would be like, God, I just want to share this one to somebody. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I mean, we're working on a campaign at the time too. So we had to sort of take what the other ads looked like into balance, right? Yeah. I'm sure you, you felt that way when you're shooting something. Shooting oh, yeah. a one, one off versus a campaign campaign you have to take the totality into account the whole time yeah well, that makes sense what about this one with um how did this thing come up right here with uh the, the russian dolls yeah that's a trip who came up with that idea this is this art director her name was madeline deree um she uh fantastic art director had this concept as soon as she drew it, I was like, oh, that could be really fun. Um, but also a, a great idea. You know, we were talking about storage. We were talking about the efficiency of being able to fit things inside another thing. And what better way to communicate that than with, you know, the Russian dolls. But then thinking about how they would fit in and around the bathroom getting ready. And one thing that we kept talking about was where are the tops? Where are the tops? And we kept wondering, well, it's, is that okay that we never show the tops? Like you could argue that yeah. she, she's the top, but not really because it's clear she's inside something. Right, yeah. But you so, know, I, I never thought about it. That good, where, good. The top never came into my head. Good. Where's the top? <laughs> yeah. I, I, we were banking on that. You wouldn't think about that. I guess you, you kind of see the dolls. I know they have the top, but they're all inside. So, but then with all these different sizes, I guess you figure out, hey, you pull this chick out and there's going to be another one. There's that one right here that's just inside her. You pull, you pull her up out of there and there's this one in there. Kind yeah. of a thing, maybe. 
So yeah, I never these, even considered where the hell it stops. These types of visuals uh, scare me. <laughs> oh. No, they really do. Not not like in the in that you will always look at it and know it's not real, and that changes yeah. how you critique it. Like we spent so much time in post trying to fix this thing, but what we were trying to fix is the fact that you know it's not real, and that's not possible. Yeah. Yeah. So I still look at it and I feel like there's parts to it that just aren't right. You know, like the way some shadows hit here and there, it's like, you know, she wasn't that small. Yeah. You can't get, and you can't get past that. Well, yeah, I get that. I completely get that. But I think as, and the only way I get over it is show it to other people and then they don't say anything about the one thing that's bugging the hell out of me. And then I go, okay. And then I'll mention, I'll go, what about this right here? And they go, oh, I didn't even see it. I didn't even yeah. notice it. And I hardly notice it right now. But I think because you worked on it and you saw how it came about, it's something that's one of those things where every time you look at it, your eye goes straight to that, that little part. And it's annoying yeah. to you. But It really is. Not to I can't wait to look at this stuff in 20 years because I'll have forgotten all that. Yeah. So then I can actually enjoy it. Yeah, exactly. Like there's, yeah. we had, um, we're in a house we're in now. We've only been in it for three years, but when we moved in, it was this weird fireplace that was gas, but it was a ventless gas. So it stuck out, I don't know, like five feet from the wall and there was nothing going up to make it look like it was a real fireplace. It was just this huge, like four or five feet, of just nothingness on top of where, I don't know what was there above the wall, supposedly a painting or something. So I had a guy come in and build it up to make it look like it's a fireplace and fill in that space. Well, at the very top where he caulked it in the winter, it shrinks and then all of a sudden there's a little line there and you can tell like right now you can't see it, but in the winter it shows up. And every time I'm sitting on the couch and I look up, it just, bugs the hell out of me nobody else notices it nobody else looks up to the ceiling to see it but every year it bothers me to the point where at some point i'm going to get a 25 foot ladder or whatever i gotta get and get up there and get the damn thing and and caulk it myself that'll be the death of you yeah probably yeah yeah that that'll that'll be the thing that takes you down (laughs) (laughs) how he die is he was annoyed by this his ocd and this caulking destroyed him uh Dude, what about, un- or go ahead. It's such an unfair situation too, because you've set yourself up for failure. It, yes. You're you're sitting there to stare at it, right? Yeah, you're, exactly. You're going to see it. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, and nobody, yeah. my dad, but my dad knows it bothers me. So if he stops by the house in the winter, he looks up <laughs> and goes, "Yeah, oh, what's going on with that? We haven't fixed that yet." I'm like, That's <laughs> great. Yeah, nobody else, nobody else says it, but yeah, he he gives me a hard time about it. Okay, so tell me which one, um, which one was it? Okay, the Jeep 4x4 ever. Yeah, so that was our first project that we did for Jeep. Um, and I was, again, such a huge fan of Jeep at the time that they wanted to communicate this idea of 75 years, uh, but they didn't want to kind of look back at the past, which is a weird, tough brief. So we I had written this idea of 4 by forever. Um, it just felt like a fun word. So then we sat down and I wrote uh, all the lyrics out, wrote the, wrote the music terribly. Like I'm not a performer at all. So when we handed it off and worked with Sony to kind of bring it to life, 
that uh that where did that where did that background come from uh which background the music the writing the music and the lyrics i used to do band stuff like i used to be in bands and stuff i mean um so that was always fun but you know i'd never really tried to kind of bring it into my job into work right and this felt just like a natural kind of way to do that i'm gonna play it real quick let so we can see it I'm gonna put the volume up on this one a little bit since you read the music. And the lyrics. Four by four by land, four by four by sea, four by four by air, cause the lot to fly free. Four by four a.m. that's when I rise. Sneak up on the landscape, catch you by surprise. Four by four my country, how it all started out. Yeah, man, that's good. You know what? There's a nice little moment in there of the Boy Scout with the arrow. Yeah. Uh, we, we didn't shoot that. So we found that footage and we just loved it and we fit it in there. And that, when that ran during the Super Bowl, we got a letter from his mother the next day. Or ne- not next day, like a couple of days later. And we're like, oh, that's really nice. But what she got into was, I guess he was in grade six at school and he was a little overweight. And everyone saw him in that commercial and it changed his whole year of school because everyone was like, Oh, you were in that commercial in the Super Bowl thing. And she just wrote about how his, his self-esteem just shot up through the roof, you know? And that was like such a great little thing to come out of it. Yeah. We were pretty happy about that. Yeah. I bet. Yeah. That's very cool, man. To find out that that ended up happening from what you guys did. Right? Yeah. yeah. It's a good feeling. Yeah. And the music's good. Yeah, yeah they did a good like job. We'll, yeah, we worked with this guy, Morgan Dorr. Um, it went on sale, that not on sale, but for download during the Super Bowl. Got like something like 40,000 downloads because everyone Shazammed it yeah. during the game, which was great. And yeah, it didn't feel like a jingle. I think that was super yeah, important to us. Yeah. yeah, it felt like a real actual song and that was connected to what Jeep is all about. You get any cash off those downloads? I'm not allowed to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope you got something. Uh, All right. Well, thanks. Sense of accomplishment. I got a sense of accomplishment. There you go. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. yeah that's it. All right. All right. What made you guys choose Halsey for that ad? She was just starting to take off at the time. And she just came off as the perfect example of a renegade. You know, there was something about her that she was on the edge of being fancy, but still being really down to earth. And I remember we did a call call with her and she just said some stuff that was so non-glossy and just very, like, very real. Um, And one thing that I don't even have the version of it, we got her to tell the story um, on camera about what, 
what Jeep meant to her and what this car meant to her. And that can only be done if it was like legit and authentic. Right. And she told, she told this long story about how she took her parents' Grand Cherokee and drove down to the beach. They didn't know she had it. She pulled up to the beach. She opened the back. She sat in the back and she wrote her first song in it. Really? Yeah. And I swear, I've never like watched somebody tell that story on camera. And like we were almost misty with how she kind of talked about it. And it's a bit of a tragedy. We couldn't make it fit or work in the commercial because she was talking about Grand Cherokee. So, <laughs> um, oh, <wow. laughs> I know, I know, but we felt it was still okay to have a representative because it's still part of the Jeep brand, you right, know, yeah. and, and she did really like the Renegade and she loved the name of it. Um, so yeah, she was, she was a blast to work with. Um, and just so real in between takes like, and, and she nailed every moment. She was just, uh, very authentic. Yeah, that was a cool. Uh, it was a cool story. I mean, to think that that's where she wrote her first song. Yeah, in the back of a jeep. There. I think that song was called "Ghosts." I think. I yeah. like her voice. I like her as a singer. There. She knows how to do that. That whisper, whisper sing. Yeah. Type yeah. voice that doesn't sound like she's trying to do it. It just feels very natural. Yeah, I thought it was, the first time I heard her, I was like, I'm, dig I'm digging this chick, the way she sings, I'm digging her voice. And then um, I think it wasn't the first time I saw her, but I saw her on, she did that performance on Saturday Night Live a couple of years, like a year or so ago. And she just basically sold out her ex-boyfriend, what the hell is his name, G-Eazy or G -Eazy, whatever. G-Eazy, yeah. Yeah, she just totally sold his ass out all over the place. Did you see that? I did, and it was so... <clears throat> It's almost like Saturday Night Live started to really put thinking into the performance. Yeah. About a year and a half ago, two years ago, right? Like the Billie Eilish one where mm -hmm. it was turning and then Halsey coming out and throwing the paint around. Yeah. It's like, it's like that was missing for so long. Um, but we didn't notice. We, get, we got so used to people just performing. But yeah. they really started to dial it up and make it an art performance. Which is good because before it was one of those things where I hate seeing TV performances of stuff like that. If it's not a huge production, if it's on something like Saturday Night Live or like Regis and, or Kelly and what the hell is his name? Um, oh yeah, yeah. American Idol, dude. Yes. Ryan, uh, Ryan Seacrest. Seacrest. Yeah, so it's like Kelly and Ryan or whatever. When they perform, it's horrible. It's always terrible. And so, and I always saw that about Saturday Night Live. I saw these are terrible performances. The audio, the mix is horrible. Nothing sounds great, but now it started sounding better, you know, in the yep. last yep. year or two, I think. So, yeah. Well, man, we're coming up on about an hour. So let me get to the last question, I guess. Tell me, what is the strangest thing that's happened to you in this business since you started in it? <sighs> well, probably what we're all going through right now, this COVID thing. Yeah. That's um, but you know what? I don't want that. I don't want that to be the answer because I think that that's too. We're. I think we're getting a little tired of hearing about it, right? And, and not I'm tired of it. Yeah, right. We want to move past this, especially as 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 artists. We when 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 we're challenged like this, this is when we kind of come up with really really cool stuff. Yeah. Right. When this type of tension is out there, that's when we kind of figure out a way around it and then use it and channel it. So, so that's maybe the only good thing that's going to come out of this, but 
strangest thing to happen to me. Well, real quick on that, when do you guys, yeah. I'm assuming you're working from home right now. Yeah. When do you go back? Have, have you guys settled on that time yet? We have not. Kind of figured it out. It's been a real moving target. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and it's for everyone's safety, yeah. right? It's, it's because we don't really know. Um, also, you know, I think we're, we're hitting a curve because everyone's so used to it. We're seeing that there are some advantages to this. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a lot of behavior that we're creating, that we're doing, that we're like, we have to save this. This, this works. We have to keep yeah. doing this. Um, and then hopefully, so hopefully we won't lose some of those things. But yeah, it's been a real moving target of when we're actually going back. Yes, I know some people I've talked to have said, oh, we're going back. This was like a month ago. It was like, oh, we're going to go back in September. And then last couple of people I've talked to recently is like, oh, we're not going back till sometime next year. Yeah, well, we'll yeah. Be until then. But I guess it just depends on how it works. You know, if it's working for you, like my brother, he's an architect. They've been doing, they had been set up to do remote for like a year or so before this ever hit. So when they ended up having to everybody start working from home, he's like, it wasn't a big change for us at all because we've been working from, you know, from home or doing remote stuff for a while because we'd be on the road someplace at another location having to do it. And we figured it out. And he said that it's been good for them, kind of like for you guys. They've been busy because a lot of their clients, he does um, commercial stuff. So if they don't have any employees in the building stuff they've wanted to do. They're like, we don't have any employees. This is what we want to do. So start sketching it up, you know, do whatever. And we're going to start working on it. So he said, they've been pretty busy as well. So yeah, I guess it all just kind of depends on how it all plays out and what part of the country you're in. Yeah. So maybe that's okay. Then that, that my answer is, is the COVID thing because I also feel there's, there's these positive things. Um, I never thought we would be able to have such close conversations uh with clients yeah then during this time because they feel like they're down in it with us and we're doing zoom calls where we share ideas and we talk about them and it's not like in a boardroom you know it's like it's such a one-on-one it feels so intimate um when we're talking about what we're gonna do when it comes to ideas and they feel more open about talking about and critiquing things and I, and they're doing it better because they feel more comfortable. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and maybe it's because we're, our faces are all up in each other, you know, and we're all there and we're all in each other's homes. Right. And yeah. it feels you, you take away this feeling that we're, we're kind of like people. It's like, Oh, I, see your home behind you right and now and now when you're talking to me about an idea or something i take all that stuff in and you do it with the clients too like the small talk we're having is not small we kind of get into like really good conversations and then it's like okay let's do a meeting you know like we actually because you're always waiting for people to kind of like jump in on the call and then there's always like these little problems that happen with the technology which then is hilarious because everyone's trying to work on it together. Like all of a sudden someone will drop out or someone will be on mute and we'll all laugh about it. Right. And so it's this shared awkwardness that I think is really leading to a, a nice um, connection between the clients and their agency. Uh, at least that's what I'm feeling at, at DDB. Yeah, so. I can see that. 
Yeah, because yeah. I think it makes doing that kind of makes everybody feel like they know each other a little better. Yes. You didn't just walk in and go, okay, everybody sit around the table and we'll get this done real quick and move on our way. And then you just, it's a business relationship and you get in and yep. get out. Yeah. Definitely helps it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Is that your final answer or would you like to add to it? I'm going to stick with that as my final answer. Okay. Cool. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, dude, thank you so much no for doing this. I appreciate it. everybody watching, listening. Um, if you like it, like it, thumbs up it, share it, subscribe to it, all that kind of stuff. And we will keep doing it. So we'll see you guys soon. Thanks, Mark. <laughs>